I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Surya Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Hi, everybody, brothers and sisters, friends and fellow travelers, seekers on the path. Today, we have Comedy and Consciousness, the first pilot podcast live we recorded at the ABC Deepak home base in New York City in June of 2016. It's part of a series. We're going to be doing more of these. I look forward to it. This is new to me and to us here at the Be Here Now Network. And this is a podcast on my Awakening Now series, show, or podcast. Comedy and consciousness is a subject dear to our hearts. We have to lighten up as well as enlighten up on the path. Otherwise, life ain't much fun. The spiritual path can get awful serious, laden, burdened with seriosity and truthiness and miss the point. We don't need that. We don't want that. Lightening up while enlightening up. That's one of my mottos. That's why people sometimes call me the Jolly Lama and other amusing things. The Delhi Lama. My mother started that and she thinks meditation and Dharma is quite kosher now. It took her a few decades, believe me. We recorded this show. It was live on stage, hosted by the wonderful podcaster and stand-up comedian, our buddy Duncan Trussell, and also 
with me and Duncan was Chris Grasso and Raghu Marcus. And we covered many subjects. Duncan is a wonderful interviewer. He plays the devil's advocate. He made us talk in a funny way and laugh and think and explore together and feel and even cry a little on subjects, everything from Hitler to nonviolence and Gandhi, from the Dalai Lama to the run-up to the election, speculating what might happen if Mr. Trump won the election. Remember, this was recorded last June. Duncan had been wearing a Trump T-shirt that week, just to be provocative. He does not look like your typical Trump supporter, but I don't want to bring him out of any closets he may be in. We covered a lot of subjects from Buddha's enlightenment under the tree, the Bodhi tree, and what enlightenment is, as Duncan kept asking, and what it means to us today, and if you get superpowers, or you're just you're super fulfilled and unselfish and loving. In other words, what's in it for us, which is a huge subject for many of us seekers, and how can we get some, to put it crassly. I had a wonderful time. Duncan's an outrageous comedian. Chris Grasso is also wise and has written several books. We're authors, we know each other from our Dharma path and our teaching tours and book tours together, Crossing Paths. You can check out their podcast also, Duncan and Chris. It's a marvelous time for us to be doing this. It's so great to get together in the spirit, in the Dharma, in the spirit of awakening, including all, inclusiveness, loving all, like right now on this podcast, like that night last June, which was about an hour and a half show, a recording, video recorded podcast. It's on, it's on YouTube. And the what will follow after this introduction, it's about an hour and a half, is the entire live recorded podcast. The last half hour is some guided meditations, loving kindness and chanting you might I want to check out. Not the usual kind, very touching, I felt it went very well. People are beautiful. If you let them be, if you get out of the way, if we let ourselves be, if we can get out of our own way, it's so beautiful. So I love getting together in this way, in this Awakening Now podcast. Tune in on the Be Here Now network. We're going to be doing more of these live video recorded on stage podcasts, merging notable stand-up comedians, male and female with notable spiritual luminaries, wise guys, wise gals, and people we would all enjoy chatting with and exploring together, opening our hearts and minds, nourishing our bodies and souls, awakening from the dream of illusion, Illusions like separateness. Lovely to be with you. Namaste. I bow to the light, the divine, the Buddha.
in each and every one of you, all of us together. Love to one and all for a better world and a better future to be possible, the better future that begins right now. Joy to the world. Thank you. Yeah, welcome everybody. Wow, this is beautiful. So I'm the director of Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and that's we have Ramdas.org website and all the activities that we do around that and what Ramdas does around the world. And we are also just bringing in the Be Here Now Network, which is a podcast network and more underneath Love Serve Remember. And so this is a little bit of an introduction. We're doing this wonderful filming of this evening, and uh, we've got some of the people that are core podcasters on Be Here Now Network, which includes Ram Das, Lama Surya Das, who's here, Krishna Das, many of you know, Jack Cornfield, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, all people I think you know, and uh, myself, I do a podcast called Mind Rolling, and Chris Grosso, who's a guest here, does the Indie Spiritualist. Many of you know Chris. And a little history of this is a gentleman called me one day and said, you ought to be doing a podcast with Ram Das." I go, podcast? This is quite some time ago. He says, yeah, I'm a podcaster, and they're extremely popular these days. I said, okay, show me what to do. And he did. His name is Duncan Trussell, and he's here tonight. He's a guru. And I mean it. Now, Pete Holmes, another friend of ours, was going to be here tonight, but unfortunate circumstances have prevented him from coming. So we apologize for, uh, and, and hope everything works out for Pete. Um, but Duncan is uh, going to take this in hand, and uh, we're going to have a wonderful evening. So, uh, I don't know, Duncan Trussell... As a podcast, Duncan Trussell it used to be called Family Hour, right? It's whoop, still is, yeah. Duncan Trussell Family Hour, so you can find that easily. And uh, and truly, Duncan did introduce whatever we're doing now with podcasts uh, through uh, Love Server Member Ramdas.org, and now the Be Here Now Network. By the way, that site will be up as of Monday, so you'll be able to catch everything. Join in there. And uh, he, it was his love of Ramdas that led him to give me the call. It's because I was depressed. We're not really, supposed it was to more tell that I was depressed that. in love of Ramdas. I was yeah. completely depressed in a basement that I was living in because I was breaking up with my girlfriend. I'm like, you don't oh, have to tell the whole right, truth. Well, that's Just, what happened. Jeez. <laughs> um, but uh, that love and that. Well, depressive situation <laughs> led to some really great things. And so um, we're going to just let you go at it. And we're going to invite Chris Grasso. Chris, come on up. Chris wrote a wonderful book, Indie Spiritualist, and has a podcast by the same name. And I'm just going to let you, you just go at it, you guys. Great. Okay? Thanks, Raghu. Raghu Marcus, everybody. Give him a round of applause.
how cool is this place? When they told me it was going to be in a carpet store, I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> That's going to stink. But this is not like any carpet store I've ever been in. So this is really cool. And Chris Grosso, everybody, let him hear it again. Thank you, Duncan. Yeah, thank you. I'm reading your book right now. I haven't finished it, but uh, I, was one, I was thinking we could start off. Uh, maybe you could describe that jog that you talked about in your book. Let me briefly say thank you, because I am in this lineage now of podcasters. So as uh, you reached out to Raghu, he reached out to me one day, why aren't you doing a podcast? So oh, cool. Now, now it's a podcast family. So Great. thank you for that. Well, thanks for starting a podcast. Yeah, we definitely right need up. more. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? <laughs> I wish I could say I was doing it before it was cool, but no such luck. So yeah, um, I did have this experience. I've actually had a few experiences running. It's funny, both of my books, like 90% of them were written while I was out running. Um, these thoughts just come to me. Usually when I hit the five-mile marker beyond, my mind just clears. and uh, it's, it's a pretty cool experience. But so this one day, I was running in this little town called East Haddam, Connecticut. Not too far. Anybody know East Haddam? Woo! <laughs> Is there? Actually, seriously? Wow, all right. <laughs> so it's a very rural town. And I'm out for my jog, and it's uh, an October, beautiful October fall day. And I'm running down one of the main roads. And we were talking about this earlier. It's one of those experiences that is just so hard to describe. But as I'm running, um, it was, I guess I think I wrote in the book that it was an experience of non-experience. It's the closest I can come to describing it. There was an awareness, but it was as if everything exploded and imploded at the same time. And it was just, <laughs> I'm laughing because as I'm going, I, I become aware that there's some tears streaming down my, my face. And, uh, and that's all I'm aware of. I can't feel my feet anymore. I can't feel my legs. Um, but I'm aware of these gentle tears. And the experience lasted probably only a minute or so because as soon as I became aware of that, I realized how ridiculously insane I must have looked to drivers ongoing. You know, there's this right. dude jogging down the street, tears coming down his eyes. But it was just one of those really beautiful experiences that really it defies um, putting into words. Yet, sure, I was a glutton for punishment and tried to do it. But um, Is that enlightenment? Do you think you experienced a little taste of enlightenment in that moment? Enlightenment's a funny word. But I, I, I would say so. The, the way I think Sharon Salzberg had a great um, take on enlightenment. And she said, when you're meditating... It's not the moments where you're, you're clear-minded. It, well, that is part of it. But it's those little moments when you remember you're lost in thought. Those are little gaps of enlightenment. And I love when she said that. You know, you're, you, you're there in the moment. You come back. Maybe it's for a few seconds, a few minutes. Who knows? But you come back. And those are little glimpses of enlightenment. I, I, I like this story because it's really not that to insult any joggers in the audience, but it is a relatively mundane activity. Absolutely. And yeah. you weren't in the Himalayas, and you weren't at the no. guru's feet. No. You were just jogging. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this expansion happened. Yeah. Was there a part of you after you came back to yourself? Did you think, did you wonder if you were going crazy? <laughs> Not on that one, because I've had, you know, these experiences before, as many of us in this room probably have. What you'll read later in the book is I had a very similar experience at a Motorhead concert. Anybody know Motorhead? <laughs> yes. 
And not only Motorhead, and, and hand, to, hand to God, uh, I've had a similar experience at a Slayer concert and a Van Halen concert, and I'm sh- not shitting any of you guys. This is a true story. So, you know, that to me speaks to spirituality, the, the true essence that spirit imbues all things at all times. I really, truly believe that. You it's, know. Not, it's not dependent on a situation. No, no, I don't believe so. This is something I've been, that as I was reading this description of what seemed to be some kind of enlightened state that you entered into, uh, I was thinking, because, you know, I, I, yeah, I've been hanging out with these Ramdas people now for a while. <laughs> and something, something's been shifting inside of me right. from this, right. this uh, contact with people who've been practicing for their uh, whole lives. And, and prior to that shift, the way I would always get to that state was through psychedelics. So smoking DMT or uh, um, DMT. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But but, uh, lately, this thing has been happening to me where I'll be walking my dog and I'll look at a flower and I want to start crying and I'll feel so happy. And I think, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm post midlife crisis, so it's not related to that. But I, but, but this sense of unity with everything has been happening with to me, and I've realized that it's just not as cool as if it was happening because of DMT. So now you're in this predicament where, like, if I say I was smoking DMT. And I realize that every single one of us is connected and is part of what appears to be a universal consciousness that has somehow made the decision to individually fall in love with every single one of us in the deepest, most romantic, on every single level. If you say that after a DMT trip, people are like, that is cool, man. (laughs) But if you say that, like I was on a jog and I realized that, they're like, oh, you're going nuts. You're losing your mind. Right. So how how do you can you talk a little bit about the difference between having a manic episode and <laughs> well. can you talk about the difference between have, how, how do you know if you're having a manic episode and how do you know if you're starting to wake up? God damn, that's a good question. Because I've been in psych hospitals before and um, no, I'm serious. So yeah. I. I I've never had a manic episode, or maybe I have, and and I just didn't realize it. But for me, I feel it in the heart, you know, and and that to me has always been the true guide. And I don't mean to sound cliche; it's it's the most honest way I can describe it. It's something I feel, you know. It's a very it's a connectedness, like you said, all things at all times. It is this direct living experience in the moment, and it is pure and. Beautiful. Again, words really fail to describe this, um, and I am no Ram Das, you know, when it comes right. to trying to to describe these things. But I think actually Ram Das did tell a story. Maybe it's in Be Here Now or one of his older books about uh, someone that was maybe having a manic episode or was was crazy in whatever way, believing that they are Jesus Christ. And he talks about how well. Yeah, we're all Jesus Christ. But this person believed he was, no, no, I am Jesus Christ. Right. But You know, actually, I heard of something someone did, and I don't know if it's true, but I think it is true, where he went to a mental hospital and got everyone who believed in that they were Jesus to hang out in a room together. Wow. 
<laughs> and nice. they all started arguing with each other. Like, no, I'm the real Christ. <laughs> You're just crazy. Uh, <laughs> but this is, yeah, this is, um, this is something that I, I think that uh, is, is a, a, a personal concern of mine. Because, sure. uh, and I think it's something about, I've been conditioned to feel that suffering and feeling skeptical and cynical and bored is a kind of normal aspect of being human. Right. But then, and you know, you, you enter into this practice, as it's called, and you talk about it in your book. You quoted Chogyam Trumpa, who says, if you can avoid this, avoid it. Because right. once you start going down this path, there's no going back. Right. It'll ask everything of you. It'll Literally. ask everything yeah. of you. And, and so th- now that I feel like I'm starting to have some results that must be, and I hate to use the word results, but some kind of effects, now that I'm beginning to feel unexpectedly happy in moments of relative turbulence, mm. I worry that I'm losing my mind. <laughs> and so, um, it, so that being said, you had this experience jogging, but prior to this jogging moment and the slayer moment yeah. and the limmy moment, you must have some kind of practice. Can you talk a little right. bit about what you were doing prior to that that maybe led to that moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I sit and meditate just like I'm sure many of us do. You know, I've, I, it was years of daily meditation practice and I work with mantras. And of course, I've worked with contemplative prayer in the Christian lineage and um, performed bhakti and, and kirtan. And um, so, I mean, really, it was just kind of a mesh of different things I had been doing. And I'm, I'm fairly open in my practice where I will go with what feels right to me. Maybe it'll be right for six months to a year. Maybe it'll only be a couple of months. Uh, maybe it'll be several years. But I really stay open and fluid as much as possible. And that works really well for me. I have other friends that are strict in their practice. They're strict in their lineage. And I deeply respect that because that's what works for them. Um, but for me, like even since I was in high school, well before I stepped onto the spiritual path, I loved metal. I loved hip hop. I was a skateboarder and I still played soccer. You know, I, I was, I've just always been very eclectic. So I actually feel like that served me very well on my path. Now, you, so you wrote a book based on these experiences right. called Everything Mind. I did. And um, at that moment that you published that book, you became a spiritual teacher, whether you like it or not. You're a guy <laughs> who wrote a spiritual book. Now you're a spiritual teacher. And, but this is, in, in your story, I think what's very interesting to me is that you're writing a book right now. What's it called? These Beautiful Wounds. These Beautiful Wounds. And can you talk a little bit about what this is about? Because this is post-everything mind, post-writing about yeah. your spiritual path. What happened? Right, and actually, Everything Mind is my second book. I had a book that came out even before, the year before that called Indie Spiritualist. So I have these two books published with, you know, major publishers. Really, I, don't, I still don't know how the hell it happened, but it happened. And um, feel very lucky and, and blessed. But... It was like last year, and here I am writing these books and, and traveling and speaking at all of these events, still trying to wrap my head around it, doing work with the Love Server Member Foundation, um, and it was just a really bad time. Uh, my wife and I were on the verge of divorce, and I ended up, I'm in recovery, I guess we should say that from drugs and alcohol, um, but I ended up going back and drinking. Um, it was very short. It was only for a week, which for me was tremendous, because I have relapsed in the past, 
And every time I did, it was a several-month endeavor that literally wouldn't end until I was either in a jail cell or an emergency room. Every time, guaranteed, that's how it would end. And this time, it lasted less than a week, and I was able to stop myself. And that was the crazy thing to me because that had never happened in the past. I was uh, over four years sober at this period. And what I recognized was that, holy shit, like all of this work I've been doing on myself, really, it works. Like I loved myself enough that day to stop before it went to the places it used to go. And that's never happened before. And one thing, I just want to say really quick caveat that I'm not up here, like, I see a lot of people drinking wine right on. I I just, I can't do it. (laughs) I mean, I have a lot of friends that do drugs and drink. I'm not one of those people that is anti it. I mean, I'm on the Be Here Now network, for Christ's sake. So, you know, it's it's all good. It's just, yeah, for me. It's not for you. I guess. But did you ever have to, because, like, I, this is something I always wonder about when I see spiritual teachers talk. It's like I have this fantasy of them being back in their hotel room before the talk on the phone with their divorce lawyer. Like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? She wants the dogs. And then they've got to come out and talk about how connected they are to everything. Oh, yeah. But their life is, did that happen to you? See, that's the one thing I have going for me is in both of my books, I have always been very transparent. Right. And I've never used the word spiritual teacher myself. Like, I know what you're saying, though. You write a book and, and you get t- that label tossed on you. But I, in the intro to both books, I lay out, like, I'm a fuck up. Like, I right. still drop the ball. I just said fuck up. You're not supposed to do that, right? But not in the Deepak Chopra view. My apologies. But I've never claimed to be anything that I'm not. You know, it's right. like, look, here's where I've fallen. Here's where I've picked myself up. I try to write in a way where I help others potentially not go down some of the roads I went down, and not even just drugs or alcohol-related. My books speak more to healing in general, more than anything else, because we all have our addictions, no matter what they are, food, sex, shopping, I mean, video games, TV, whatever. Right. But, yeah, man, so I I played it cool, and it was right off the bat, like, you know, I'm, I'm... I'm just some dude. Like, like we were saying earlier, like, I, I watch The Simpsons, you know? I, I love right. dumb shit. But... <laughs> I mean, The Simpsons is brilliant, don't get me right. wrong, but... No, I get it. No, I think that's one of the many things that's really cool about you. Thank and you. I think that one of the big misconceptions about all of this stuff is that somehow your life stops being turbulent and that somehow all of a sudden all of those catastrophes or many catastrophes or annoyances begin to evaporate. Right. And it, it really isn't the way it works, at least for me. This is at this last retreat we were at. Um, Ramdas was talking and, and he said something. Uh, he was talking about he has a, a documentary out you may have seen called Fierce Grace. And that's what he called the stroke that he had. He said, yeah. this is Fierce Grace. Uh, and he was with City Ma, a teacher. I think it was City Ma. I'm looking for someone. It was City Ma. He was a City Ma. He was a, a, an enlightened being. And she said to him, the stroke that happened to you is not grace. That's nature. Mm. Your reaction to the stroke yeah. is the grace. And I think that's what all of this stuff ends up giving yeah. us. Is It certainly doesn't smooth out the, the, our lives right. at all, but it seems to reduce the amount of time between when we do something ridiculous yeah. and when we say we're sorry for it or whatever. Yeah. I think that's what's beautiful about it. And what's really beautiful about your um, book, could you talk about the title a little bit, where the title comes from? 
Uh, yeah, these beautiful wounds. Yes. Yeah, it, it's actually taken from a, a Teresa of Avila poem. Um, and she actually said this beautiful wound, but I changed it a little bit. But, I mean, it, it's kind of just like it sounds. I recognize it after this experience. Um, I, I had come down on myself. This happened a month before my second book was to be published. And I had all these events lined up, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Am I going to cancel all of them? It, you know, it was just a really horrible time. And I ended up, I live in Ottawa these days. I'm from the U.S., but I ended up going back to Connecticut because, like I said, my wife and I weren't sure what we were going to do. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just felt like a complete and utter failure. And, um, and as time began to go on, um, and as I was able to cultivate some compassion and softness for myself and this experience, I started to see the beauty in these wounds, you know, the way that they were kind of shattering this heart armor that I had still up in many ways. You know, I'd done a lot of work and made some progress, I guess I could say, but you know, it just, it was another one of those experiences that showed me, you know, where I still have work to do. And I started to see the beauty in this experience. I also saw the, the heartbreak and, and I experienced that as well. And, and it was very painful. And still here I am about a year later. And there are still times where the pain comes up for me. You know, my wife uh, had never seen me on, in those circumstances. We've been married uh, for three years together for four. And she never seen me like that. And as for example, it was just last week I was doing an event in Idaho, and I'm flying down and I'm watching this really great spiritual movie. It's called Straight Out of Compton, and uh, and it was it was you know it was it was putting yes. me in the mood for this really spiritual conference. But there's this scene where at the end Easy E is on his deathbed and his wife's there and no, true story. So you know she wants to marry him before he dies. He has AIDS, and you know wait, Easy E died. Man, where have you been? Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but anyways, it, it made me start feeling the feels. And the first thing I did when I checked into the hotel room is I had to call my wife because it, all this, like, pain came up for, for what happened last year and what I put her through. And I just, I've apologized a hundred times over. And it's not that, you know, we're on much better terms today. Everything did end up working out. But I still, like, I realized, wow, I still have this pain I'm carrying. So I just... You know, I called her and we talked a little bit, and, and that's part of the healing. So these beautiful wounds are, are still being healed. It's an ongoing process. Right. Yeah. Can, can you help me understand? I know people who worship their wounds, people sure. who that is the thing that defines them yeah. as a person, yeah. and it's, the, it's a big part of their story, yeah. and so they sort of fetishize right. their disasters that have happened in their life. Yeah. What is the difference between that kind of attitude and, the, and what you're talking about, which is looking at the wounds as something that you can heal yourself right. with, but not uh, being fixated on them. Right. The funny thing is, in Everything Mind, I write a bit about Caroline Meese, and she calls that woundology, people that create an identity out of their wounds, and they stay stuck in this place. And, um, and I th it was such an important topic, you know, because people do. We create these identities, and they serve us in one way or another. The difference for me is you, you realize what the wound is. You go into that wound. You don't make an identity out of it. It's part of you, but it's not who you are. And then you're willing to do the uncomfortable work, the painful work, and begin doing what you need to to heal it. In my case, that was a, a lot of talking with my wife. It was really going within and exploring a lot of 
the wreckage of my past that I didn't realize was there but came up after this incident. Um, so to me, that's the difference. And, that's, and I did feel a little weird when I'm like, hmm, you know, we're going to name this book These Beautiful Wounds, and then I have a whole chapter about woundology in my last book. But I believe the way that um, it's being written right now with my dear friend Alice, who's here too, she's working on it with me. Um, but I believe together we've combined our superpowers, and we're writing it in a way that um, it, it doesn't celebrate the wounds. It just It's like, you know what Ram Dass said, suffering is the sandpaper of our incarnation. It does its job of shaping us. Hmm. So, you know, there it is. Like, you see what the suffering is. You see what the wound is. You look at how it's shaping your life. You work with it to the best of your capacity with whatever means resonates for you. And then you move on. You know, you move on. Henry Rollins said, what is it? Scar tissue is uh, stronger than regular tissue. Realize the strength. Move on. That's it. Realize the strength and move on. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks man. a lot. Chris Grosso, everybody. Let him hear it. And now uh, we're just going to bring up another wonderful teacher, everybody, Lama Suryadas. Let him hear it, everybody. Thank you. Speaking of wounds. <laughs> I know, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to hurt your Wounded Lama. Are you wounded? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, me, See, it, me is a wound. The separateness itself is the original wound. Can you, um, but that's not, I, he's a llama. Did I say that's that or like. just think that? <laughs> you know, this guy, this is an authentic mind blower here. He will blow your mind. And My, I, mind is bigger than yours. <laughs> see, but he's really, I mean, obviously he's a, but he's, you're a sneaky llama because uh, what, he, what he does is really, I, I, the first time I had a conversation with you was at uh, a Ram Dass retreat. And at the Ramdas retreats, he doesn't dress like this. He wears Hawaiian shirts and shorts. And so he came, he came over and he's like, can we talk for a second? And uh, I forgot you were a llama. And so it's just like talking to like the, your coolest uncle or something for a second. And then all of a sudden, within moments, you dragged me into the deepest water and basically left me there. Because you went, there's the... It was the <laughs> You were too strong. You bobbed up. Well, I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if I did or not, but um, how do you become a llama? It's one mistake after another, and then you <laughs> rise to the top. What's the real way you become? How do you really become a llama? Um, a llama is a meditation teacher or a priest in Tibetan Buddhism, so either by um, reincarnation, like the Dalai Lama recognized as this incarnation coming back, or through doing three-year traditional retreats and other trainings, then your teacher empowers you as a lama to carry on the um, enlightening mission, let's say. Um, this is a question that has always bugged me about Buddhism, and I thought I could ask you, and, and maybe you could even describe the, the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree, and he sees three things. Are you getting out the thing where you ask questions into its butt? Do you want to do Don't your... Let me interrupt your flow. He's got props. We've got props. <laughs> no, do the prop. But because Pete Holmes couldn't make it tonight. Oh, wait. I... By the way, Pete Holmes is fine. 
Raghu, you made it seem like he was in a car accident or something. <laughs> He's shooting an HBO show. He's fine. You're like, you were like, God be with him. We hope he's okay. He's okay. He's just working. Forget about Pete Holmes. This is my time. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I, therefore, I brought me which when you look in his bottom, he would answer all your questions. So now I'm well assisted to answer whatever questions you may have. Okay, great. So <laughs> that went over like a lead Buddha. Um, have you ever looked at your own bottom? Bad day, right? The, um, <laughs> uh, Very nice. Uh, <laughs> So, the, the, okay, here's my question. So the Buddha goes under the Bodhi tree and has these three visions. Can you talk about them briefly? I'm not sure exactly, but I think you're referring to he sees a sick person. No. No. This is when he's sitting under the Bodhi tree. The Buddha, let me tell you about the okay, Buddha. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to make it into a different lesson. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. He was great. But he, uh, <laughs> yeah. yes, he sees he sees Mara's daughters and that's it. But tell us, no, I'd like okay. to hear. I'd like uh, to hear the Technicolor version. See, it's tricky. You always do this. He, so uh, I can't remember. So the, the the there's three visions, and the Buddha's getting enlightened. And so the first vision, Mara appears, the king of the earth, to tempt the Buddha, or to trick the Buddha, or to keep the Buddha from gaining realization. The first thing is, I guess, the fear of death. Fireballs. He throws fireballs at the Buddha. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But the Buddha smiles, laughs. The fireballs turn into flower petals or something. So the next one is the daughters of Mara. And this is the... the I, I've temptation. Heard, temptation, right? The, what's that? Buddha's a monk. Right. So this is... He's tempting him with, I guess, what, with his daughter. Desire. Just weird. That you would bring his your desire, daughters to this guy's. But the third, the third one is uh, the one I don't understand. So he, he, can you talk? What's that? The third one is Mara, the great tempter, says to the Buddha, why do you deserve to be the Buddha? And he takes his finger and he puts it on the ground. What does that mean? It's called the Earth Witness Mudra. Rather than answering like, I am great, or I am enlightenment, or I, 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 he's just um, touching, grounding himself. The whole earth responds by flowering and bowing. And I mean, that's the point. So that means that he is not asserting anything for him. He's identifying. So he's saying. That's that enlightenment. He's saying, I am. I am Oneness is, is, is the natural state we are part of. In not I am great. That not I am greater than you. He's coming back to the oneness that includes the interlocutor also. So the he's questioner. he's saying that I'm everything. Without the I part, yes, he's saying everything is us. And you know, I uh, there's a song about this. I am you, and you are we, and we ness, we are all one together. Oh, that's what that's about. I think so. <laughs> well, maybe that was Lucy in the sky with diamond. Oop. <laughs> well, the. You, you practice a path of Buddhism that uh, 
I don't know too much about, and I don't even think I can pronounce it the right way, Zogchen. And uh, in your book, um, you say that this path of Buddhism, the idea is that you can gain realization in this lifetime. Yes, that's the prime, that's the idea. In awakening now, not just after many years of um, spiritual penance or schlepping to enlightenment, as we call it. <laughs> no more schlepping. <clears throat> American Buddha's awakened. Throw off your neurosis, your inhibitions. Is it, is it just that easy? Just throw off the neurosis? Well, for them's the can. Otherwise, it might take a little more uh, work. Have you gained realization in this lifetime? Enough for now. I'm, ha I'm happy enough for now. What, what is, but I'm still working, you know, on the path. What are the qualities of that? What, what's it like? What does it feel like? It's nice. It's like what you were saying. It's beautiful. It's, it's joyful. It's, it's buoyant. It's, it's, bliss. it's not always blissful. It's, um, it's fulfillment. It's, it's uh, wonder. It's wondrous. And this is your waking experience of life. Is this waking? Sometimes in sleep, you know, where in dream is. You know, it's, it, sometimes it's a wheel of luminosity that turns day and night. Sometimes it goes in and out. But I'm not saying I'm in light. I'm just, you asked about what it's like. So those are a few things people have said that I, you know, maybe found to be true. A wheel of luminosity that turns day and night, whether you're willing it or forcing it, making it happen or not. What are the things that are... Like he said, when he was running after the five-mile mark, it just happened by itself. He didn't stop and meditate. He was just one with the flow. He wasn't trying to get into the flow. Maybe I'm putting words in Chris's mouth. The flow was... Oh, he, he was in touch with the fact that the flow was going through him already. But you know, Duncan, I just, is this on? Yeah. Or, I just want to also say the interesting thing is we're using all these really beautiful words to try and describe the indescribable. But from the glimpses I've had, because I'm not awakened fully by any means, but the glimpses I've had, at the same time, it also seems like absolutely nothing special at all. It's just like, oh, okay. It's gorgeous, and it's also, it's like it just makes perfect sense in, in the most, I don't know, non-exciting way. You like that? Non-exciting. Yeah, it's not a great sales pitch, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I keeps it real. It's boring. You basically, you know, you're there because you're bored. You're yeah. just a. But I know what you mean, though. Yeah, of course, yeah. sure. I've but but if you experience people that have any, you know, sense of it, you see it's not boring. It, it counterintuitively, like yeah. just pick anybody. This is Deepak Chopra Center. But let's, you know, pick like the Dalai Lama. He's so spontaneous and childlike and buoyant, right. as well as visionary and wonderful and charismatic and and sharp and, and vision, you know. Well, the, present. It's great. Thich Nhat Hanh, present. Present. Not boring. The, um, I, I just love to tinker around with the idea of enlightenment because it's, it's kind it's of... It's a funny word, as he said. It's a funny word, but it seems to be something that does happen to people in this dimension. And I think that it's a natural thing to want that to happen to you. To, it's clearly one of the greatest things that can happen. It's a million times better than any kind of material success. It appears to be one of the most fantastic things that can happen. It's a kind of redemption. It's like the Eastern version of redemption is enlightenment. In the West, there's redemption. In the East, there's enlightenment. But the, uh, and maybe they're the same. Are they the same thing? Is redemption and enlightenment the same thing? 
Um, in general, yes, but you know, if you got into the theology, probably not. You talk about throwing off your neurosis, and in Christian Christianity, might talk about being born again. They talk about the idea of like being a human being is that we have these pasts that we have things that we've done that we're incredibly embarrassed about, or things that we've done that we feel we could have done better. I, I feel like I. Something that haunts me. I feel like I was the worst son that could ever have existed on planet Earth. Just a miserable, wretched kid, son. Like, I just don't think I could. I, when my mom was dying, I went on a comedy tour. This, I know, it's how, you can laugh at what an asshole I was. Go ahead. I did that. And I, but it haunts me. It haunts me every day. And so when I think about Christianity, one thing that I think is so beautiful there is there's this place for redemption. You offer your heart to Christ. Christ comes in. The slate is washed clean. You get to live your life anew. Uh, and and where, is in, uh, where is that in Buddhism? How does, what do we do with all these past regrets that we have, things that are impossible to go back and fix? Well, I, I'm convinced that, that Christ is the only way after hearing you talk. <laughs> Great. That, <laughs> then my job is done here. So, so I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to be. <laughs> I got him. Another Buddhist converted to the Lord. <laughs> You're next, Grosso. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Buddhism posits that everybody has the innate Buddhaness, the Buddha nature within them. So we are redeemed by awakening to who and what we truly are, like it says here on the walls. Thich Nhat Hanh over there, his, his saying is, um, we already are what we seek to become. So that's like, we don't believe in original sin. We believe in original purity or wholeness and perfection. So even just my joke about American Buddhas, throw off your neurosis, your inhibitions. We really don't have to throw it off. We just wear them more lightly like uh, ornaments. So because the ground shift from the... We're oppressed and afflicted by them, the whole, and they're just hooded on the gargoyles, much smaller. Gargoyles is a great way to put it. But they're, they're, these are annoying gargoyles. This is, this is an, I mean, to put it lightly, it's an annoyance. For a lot of people, this is a... Or worse. It, it's a horror story for a lot of, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. A, it's a nightmare. It's like having the most beautiful pool, and someone is pooped in the pool and it keeps bobbing around it bobs around in your head and there it is it keeps appearing again and again and again so you scoop it out you scoop it out is that a direct quote from the buddha is that <laughs> from the buddha's bottom to you so what but i know there's some things that need to be possibly <clears throat> could be seen as need to be removed some things that Accepted and integrated, some things transcended. You know, it, How do you remove it? How do you remove memories? How do you remove memories of things? That you, how do you remove regrets? Well, like he said at the five mile mark, his mind became clear. Then you're not in the past and memories are not um, bothering you. So if you're really totally in the now, there is no past and future. Mm -hmm. Nowness is not horizontal, linear time, past, present, and future. Like divine time now. So it's the ultimate therapy. You're free of the conditioning in the now. There's no you. 
because you are a baggage train of memories and self-concepts. In just this breath, there's no, in this thought even, there's no chain of discursive thinking tangle you up. There's just this and this. It's another saying here on the wall. It's not Han. Just this moment is enough. This moment is enlightenment. It's another saying. This is incredibly simple and profound. You don't need any foreign words for this. Thus, the nowness is so freeing. So there are no memories right then. Of course, you when you come back into your ordinary mind and you remember where you parked the car or what your address is. What about the people you've hurt? You're you're writing a book with a death row inmate, Correct. right? Yeah. And and this is someone. I, I'm, is is he is is he falsely imprisoned or did he really actually? Get... Yes, he he originally did go. He got I think it was an eight year sentence for a robbery he did commit. He's part of a gang. He's this is going back almost forty years. However, when imprisoned, he ended up being accused of sharpening a spear that was then used by another inmate to murder a prison guard. The crazy thing is that these two other, there were three people charged. Two of them were let off, and one of them, my friend Jarvis, was given the death sentence. The evidence, however, is so overwhelming about his innocence that in the first time, or for the first time in California state history, they have reopened this case. And it's going through the motions right now. Um, he's he's a beautiful man. You know, he's he's had to find a lot of peace around being there, obviously, because it's been over 30 years this man has been wrongly imprisoned. He's lost the better part of his life. Well, for the sake of the question, let's imagine he killed somebody. Okay, yes. He... <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he is a violent offender. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, he sharpened his spear and he stabbed someone. Yeah. As many people, and so what? I, my question for you is this: If someone has, if someone on death row has killed someone that I love, and suddenly I hear that they're in the moment and everything's fine, I don't care. They've still hurt me, and it's really it's not nothing has changed as far as the damage that has been done. So, as much as I really love the idea of the of the being in the present moment, and the rare times I find myself there, it's intoxicating and it's amazing. How does this repair all of the many things that all of us do inevitably by being a human being and being around other human beings? How does it fix the pain that we've caused other people in the past? That's a huge question, and all of Judaism is about this repairing the broken world, and everything we do is, is about that. Um, in Buddhism, <clears throat> Angulimala killed 900 people and took their finger bones and wore it as beads on his neck. But when he met the Buddha, there was so much peace that he asked how he got like that, and he changed his ways and repented, and he had redemption. He got a certain kind of enlightenment in his life. So by doing practices and purification and repentance and reparations and vowing never to do it again, so that's like the gradual path of uh, redemption so that's possible but you're saying in Dzogchen there's an alternative to this there's some I, I'm saying in the present moment that um, let's go back to your example that you your loved one was killed by a, a murderer <clears throat> um, how much of your life can you afford to spend being being unhappy mm. because that happened 40 years ago and not get on with your life and with your kids and with your walking your dog and like having a life, too, with your dead loved one would certainly wish for you. Right. So 
I think Buddha's greatest teaching, since you asked me about Buddhism, is the, is the, the middle way. It's not too much, not all or nothing, always, never, black and white thinking. Not too tight, not too loose, the middle way. That's a great touchstone for me in many of these questions. I am against capital punishment. Um, I'm interested in that subject. But I do think still we have to judge the crime or the sin, but not the sinner. At the soul level, he's still a soul that has dignity uh, before God or as a child of creation or as a, <clears throat> a Buddha, Bodhi, Buddha seed. So we, that's why the saying, we judge the sin or the criminal, the crime, but still they get dignity, right. the sinner. So we love them, even though we might incarcerate them for life and keep them from doing more. Would, would that we could have rehabilitation system that, and redemption even, that would be even better. Yeah, well, I mean, it's got to be possible. I mean, I, I think it's possible. For prisoners, for everyone. We have to work on it. Our penal system in this country is a big problem, and we all know that. And how many... Young black men are in it for whatever many reasons, socioeconomic right. reasons. So <clears throat> some, we have to work systemically, not just uh, me. So I try to think globally but act locally, beginning on here, widening circles. And uh, this is an election, local election year here in this country. Right. So I think that we... It's a scary election year. Yeah. There's a lot we could say it's about that. It's terrifying to think Trump might not be the president. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Just in, because of full disclosure, and what happens here at the Deepak Chopra home space stays here at the home space. He came on stage at our podcast at Ramdas's Maui retreat in, uh, wearing a Trump T-shirt. It's the only chance I would ever have to wear a Trump shirt in front of Ramdas. He trumped like, us all. Like, He's gonna go for it. <laughs> but we have to love Trump. We have to love everyone, but it doesn't mean we have to vote for him or agree with him and his policies. <laughs> yeah, but this is, you know... But we all have built walls. See, this is the problem. Trump is us. We have walls. We have our defense mechanisms, the wall between self and other, us and them, what we like and what we don't like. We're all wall builders. So let's not just point the figure at Trump. There's an old Tibetan saying, and you're a Christian, you might find this reflect, you know... You, yeah, Thank you might you, find this in your own scriptures. The Tibetans say, don't overlook, what, what do they say? We see the, the, uh, the, 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 the flea in somebody else's hair and overlook the yak on our own nose. Right. Like that. That's a tiny little yak. Oh. <laughs> or a very big person. It's easy to see what's wrong with others than ourselves. Right. Well, yeah, sure, but you know, this so is... So Trump is one of our greatest teachers. Ramdas used to have a picture of somebody like that on his altar that he hate, you know, hated, along with all of his gurus and saints, to get over this great partiality he, was, he right. described himself as suffering from. Right. That, see, that is how you know. You're either a very cool person or you're the biggest asshole on earth if you're on his altar. Because they well, have... Don't, don't point a <laughs> finger. Maybe that's why I'm there. You never know. But this is something... I'm there with my teacher. That's why I'm there. This is a term that haunts me. One of my friends accused me of being guilty of passive hipster Buddhism. He said, and in Buddhism, there is a, uh, there is a... Uh, I call it the upper middle path. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, exactly. That's it. But... I, how often? I don't want to out you. 
how, no, do you know I'm out lives? of it. But how often do, it's, it's an easy thing to trick yourself into thinking that your passivity is somehow spirituality. And there's a, a haunting letter that uh, I, I think Gandhi wrote to Churchill suggesting that he should allow the Nazis to invade, saying that it would be better that, you know, pure, pure nonviolence. Don't fight back. And that's something to me that it, it really bugs me because imagine if Churchill had right. actually taken his advice, we would be living in a very different world. And sometimes this, this, this becomes violence in its own way. So the question is, when is it not okay to do the whole, oh, no, 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 I love Trump. I love Trump. And then Trump becomes president. And then suddenly everyone's getting thrown out of the country. And, you know, I don't know, he's attacking China or whatever's happening. Oh, no, he's, I love him. I love him. I love him. At some point, you can't do the whole loving thing anymore, right? At some point, there has to be something more than just sitting in front of the puja table, grinning at the picture of Trump and thinking that you're a great person. At some point, you got to start making bombs. <laughs> right? You know what? <laughs> That's why my fingers look like that. <laughs> why do your fingers look like that? How'd you break them? Not bomb making. Ah, too bad. Fight, sports fighting. So don't, but this is, a, this is my when question for you. When, when do you... When not all or nothing, the middle way. So, first of all, um, I've read all of Gandhi's biographies. I, I'm really not sure that he actually wrote such a letter. But um, he may have, because he was a radical nonviolentist like the Dalai Lama, who was often accused of not fighting back with the, enough with the Chinese. Right, yeah, that's So it's right. a very tough question. But um, I think... The 12-step prayer, since you mentioned being in recovery, by Reinhold Niebuhr, who lived in New York, the great Protestant theologian and social activist. You know what it says, may, may we change the things we can change, whatever, Courage. accept the things we can change, and have the wisdom to know the difference. This cultivation of wisdom is very important, I think. That's where things like Buddhism and spiritual practice come in today. Wisdom, I believe, timeless wisdom, universal wisdom, not isms. It's like an endangered natural resource, and we haven't even named it yet. And we overlook it at our peril, and we're in the over-information age. But where's the wisdom? Where's the self-knowledge? Where's the self-realization? We're out of touch with any sense of inferiority or inward-looking or noble solitude or self-sufficiency. So I think courage to change the things we can and, you know, to accept the things we can't change, and the wisdom, the discriminating discernment to know the difference. That's something we can hone. It's not just something a Dalai Lama or somebody's born with. We cultivate this awareness wisdom. So we don't just sit there in front of the puja table in your caricature, just looking at the picture and grinning, like Alfred E. Newman on the cover of Mad <laughs> Magazine. What? Me worry? While Rome is burning, as they say? Right. No. But it's not all or nothing. Sometimes we sit and sometimes we march, and we have. Beautiful. And we do. Lama Suryadas, everybody. Let him hear. Lama Suryadas. Thank you. <laughs> and now uh, our final guest of the night. Everybody, round of applause for Raghu Marcus. You already have.
you on there? Hello? Yeah, you're on. Hello? Now, this is Raghu. When I first met Raghu Marcus, I was fully prepared to be disappointed because I, oh, because, uh, uh, you don't know him that well. I, <laughs> but I was because I, uh, I, I'd never met anybody from the Ramdas camp or whatever you want to call it. And I'd read the book, but I thought, oh, you know, just like so many other things in the world, it's going to be, it's going to be a disappointment. And then I remember when we did a, we did this podcast and you started talking about Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji and, uh, you left. And after the podcast, I remember standing in my bedroom, looking in the mirror and thinking to myself, man, you are a jerk for getting this stoned while you had a, someone over to do a podcast. <laughs> and then I realized I hadn't smoked weed. I, I hadn't, there had been no intoxicant, but just being around you talking about Maharaji had blown my mind in such a way that I translated it into being really high. And one of the, one of the things you said to me during this conversation that I'll never forget is I was railing against I don't remember what it was that we were supposed to be angry at at the time, but I was angry at that thing and saying, we got to fight this thing. You were, you were saying to me, no, that doesn't work. This us or them thing is not a way to handle these problems. Can you talk a little bit about that concept of uh, somehow activism through unitive consciousness? Activism through unitive consciousness. <laughs> I told you before, Lama Suryadas put a newsletter out, what, a couple of weeks ago about just this subject, right? Us and them. Something that Ramdas has been talking about for ages. And um, the, the basic idea I think we discussed was unless your heart is changed inside, unless you can when you're going out and we're going to march or whatever we're going to do, nothing is going to happen. The opposite of what we want to happen is going to happen when we have anger. That's what we were talking about at the time. Mm. And so we're, this, this really, I mean, how many podcasts, have we, this has come up a lot, right? Yes. We have talked about this a lot. Yes. And now it's, uh, it's terrible what's going on because I see it in myself day to day watching any of the news or even talking to people who are like talking to Bernie people, people who love Bernie. And then there's people who, well, pragmatically, I don't think Bernie, I mean, at this point, we don't know what's going to happen. doesn't look good. Well, we're not going to vote for Hillary. And then the Bernie and the Hillary person start to get into it. And there's polarization right. within that. Yes. So it's really gone beyond this, this us and them is taking us over, which is what you should read this thing that Lama wrote, by the way. Go to, what is it, lamasuryadas.com? Surya.org. Surya.org. Surya it's close. It's a fantastic thing just about this us website. and them. Uh, and uh, uh, there, uh, there's a wonderful uh, an article that I really loved by a guy named David Brooks. Uh, who writes for the New York Times, who's a Republican and right-wing and conservative. And he said, and he talked about this polarization, this us and them, which is becoming so predominant in our society at this point with this election year. 
and he, and he quoted the Dalai Lama who said, there is no way any of this can change via institutions or governments. We have to change ourselves. And how do we do that? We have to uh, cultivate a warm heart towards those that we disagree with. Just sim simply do that. And so he talked about this as a solution. And, th and this is something that, uh, as we talked about that very first podcast, Ramdas has been advocating forever, is changing our own hearts before anything can happen with anybody. I mean, just sitting with you in that moment where you were really railing out at whatever it was, and nothing's going to happen unless we create that warm-heartedness, which is extraordinarily difficult, and I, I myself get depressed about how I react to these people, you know? And uh, it's, so it's a very tough, tough thing, and we're in a tough situation. What does it look like to cultivate a warm heart? What is, how does a person, if I feel, my anger is usually not about Trump or, or Obama or Hillary Clinton, really. Like, I don't, if I feel any anger about them, it's a pleasurable kind of anger. It's like, feels good, and it's fun. My anger is over more minuscule things in my life. My anger is over things that aren't so global. But what is it, how do you cultivate warmth for that kind of anger, for day-to-day -day domestic anger, for the kind of anger that pops up in traffic, the kind of the real anger, the anger that really causes problems? How do we cultivate a warm heart? That's like you were talking before about the... The spiritual teachers who are in their room screaming at their attorneys, yes. right, before they get on. Yeah, or they go out in traffic, and sure. they're screaming at everybody around them, cutting them off. How do you do it? There's only one way for any of this stuff, and, and this man will you know, tell you a little bit more about it, and it's called practice. And especially, uh, particularly in, in the Buddhist tradition, I think some of you who've come to Deepak Theater have been here with Sharon Salzberg, who is just the most phenomenal teacher around metta, loving kindness practice. And, and you go, well, it's just, yeah, is that really going to help me day to day? It's not until you do it. And it's like people don't want to take that courageous first step to actually do it. What's the first step? There's a particular, there's a practice. Go to SharonSalzberg.com. Oh, yeah, you can't talk about it now? Well, I mean, we... <laughs> <laughs> Are you too busy to tell people how to do it now? Very. <laughs> okay, everybody, go on your phones and look at how to do this. We'll wait till you're... How do you do it? How do you do it? <laughs> yeah. I mean... You sit, and one of the first, first you get yourself into a place, maybe through some, I mean, this is, the llama here should be doing this. Can you do a loving kindness? Do you guys want to do a loving kindness meditation, really? Not everybody, some people are like, no, I don't. I'm, I see over your shoulder, Thich Nhat Hans Khalifa says, breathe, you are alive. So breathe is first. And you might say you're doing it all the time, but I'll say you're doing it not fully, you're thinking about other things. Really, you just take a breath and you arrive where you already are but don't know it and breathe. Also, the secret is mindful anger management, but we're doing loving kindness now. So breathe and relax and smile. 
I hope you're doing this. This is a practice. Again, breathe, relax, and center and smile. If you don't feel like smiling, that's okay. Just breathe and relax. If you don't feel like relaxing, that's fine. Just breathe again. Breathe. Come on. Very good. You're getting good at this. And arriving and centering and then breathing in and breathing out. This gets more complicated. I'm joking. It's so simple. <laughs> breathing in and breathing out and aware of it. That's the active component. And then as you're breathing in, just filling and feeling and energizing and fulfilling and warm and light and connecting. And as you're breathing out, affirming, praying, saying, may all beings be happy. This is Buddha's basic metta, loving kindness meditation. Breathing in and breathing out and exhaling, may all beings be content and fulfilled, happy. And when the mind wanders, bring it back, breathing in and aware of it, mindful. And breathing out, may all beings be peaceful and harmonious. And letting go of everything else, all the flotsam and jetsam going by on the stream of consciousness. Breathing in and breathing out, wishing well for others, may all be happy. May all be peaceful and harmonious. May all be content and fulfilled and experience ease. Breathing in, breathing it out, and just equalizing self and others, all one, co-meditating together, intermeditating, interbeing without boundaries of us and them, outer, inner, all happy, all peaceful, all liberated. How sweet it is. Ah. Wishing well for others, the essence of loving kindness. May all be happy, content, healed, liberated, and free. When the mind wanders, bring it back to the object of attention, to breathing process, and the well-wishing love for all equally. Love unconditional, divine, flowing freely, happy, peaceful, free. just sitting, just breathing, just being, just Buddha. May you all be happy, content, peaceful, healed, free. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alma. I, I want to say something because Nothing happened. Nothing happened? <laughs> I, I, really? I, this is a thing. I love that exercise. But whenever I do but. that. What? I'm sorry. I always have these butts. Uh, Play I, the devil's advocate. You're, this is good. Okay. So when I do that, these, every single step on this meditation, 
I'm faking it all the way. Like that's, the idea. That's called practice. practice. Exactly. Fake it till you make it. So it's okay to reconditioning just kind of and numb. deconditioning. Well, you, you're not numb, but you know you're you're thinking about it, and but you come back to just the breathing and the wishing, and also make your own meaningful wishes. Maybe for you, it's healed. Right. Maybe for you, actually, it's, you're, uh, and you start with people that you love and that you're personally yeah, okay. connected with, so, so you actually easier. have a real moment. So you feel there. it in your heart. I see it. You feel I something. See it. Then you widen the concentric circle. Okay, I get it. You start with. Well, you All can right. start with one person. <laughs> yeah. Now that and then makes you do sense. Do it on yourself. Self-compassion, self-loving kindness. It's like you're blowing a bubble. It's like when you dip the thing into the bubble stuff. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're blowing. <laughs> no. <laughs> when you're blowing a bubble. No. no idea. You know that the bubble yes. wands. So like you're dipping into this thing. That first little thing is the love I feel for my chihuahua or something. There's, yes. I definitely know that that's real. Right. And then you're sort of blowing into that and expanding yes. it. So if, you, if you're feeling numb, start with your chihuahua. And then maybe maybe the woman you live with or yes. your, your favorite mother, grandmother, father, right. somebody you love. And also on yourself. This also helps us get perspective on ourselves so we're not just stuck in our usual bubble-like ego confines. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. Are you with me? May I be liberated. This is all in books. You can read this. Sharon Salzberg's books, my books. You can Google it and you'll find the Loving Kindness Sutra which repeats these sayings, these prayers, these resolves. May I be peaceful. May I be liberated. May I be healed and whole again. You start to cultivate self-love and self-acceptance. But don't just do it selfishly on yourself. So come breathing out and in with other people or doing it together with somebody or with your chihuahua or with your late parent. They don't even have to be alive or know it. Complete your, you know, uh, complete your loving cycle with them. Repair and uh, get redemption in your struggles with the parent figure. Cool. I'll t- Duncan, I'll tell you that when I was talking about the relapse I experienced earlier, the main thing I attribute to pulling myself back so quickly was actually this loving kindness practice and really dedicating myself to it over these four years. Because the way I do, I do it a little more systematically than, than Lama just told us. There's different ways to do it, but I always start with myself and that was so hard in the beginning so hard and I would do it very quickly just send myself this loving kindness aspiration then move on to the rest of the people the positive person the loved one the neutral person and the difficult person and doing it day after day after day like you I was like I don't know is this doing anything but really when when it came time you know for the rubber hit the road so to speak wow it really was doing something and it's that first step and that's the difficult thing for all of us. How do we, and it's what you're talking about. Well, what is the first step? But once you know it, it's actually doing it. And how do we take that first step? And uh, there's a, a great story. Uh, you may have heard it at the retreat that Krishnadas does. It's, it's around uh, Neem Karoli Bala, our guru. And he was in uh, Mumbai. And uh, Maharaji, who we called him, was there. And they were with uh, an Indian person, an, an old Indian devotee. And suddenly, Maharaji just said, courage is everything. And the Indian devotee said, well, this is guru. We're in the, you're the guru, and it's all about guru's grace. What's this? What are you talking? 
And Maharaji pointedly went, courage is everything. And Krishnadas said, it's the one thing that has sustained me in my darkest moments, just that, to be able to take that first step to do this practice or do anything that allows you to get connected with yourself. That courage to take that step is huge. And I love that story, uh, and he's told it a number of times. And especially coming from Maharaji, because the tradition was you just wait for grace, supposedly. You know, like, and this surrender, was, there was surrender. an act of doing. That, this was a very active process on the part of the individual, right? Um, I, yes. I, I'm thinking that the courage, it seems to me, that it really takes, and I don't know, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to think like, talk like an elder, maybe patronizing, but I think the lesson here, excuse me, is um, the courage to just do anything different than we've been doing. That takes a you. that's the beginning of change and transformation. I'm not even mentioning spiritual or anything. The courage, the resolve. Sometimes we have to be desperate before that happens. Sometimes it takes a tragedy or a crisis to pull, pull the rut out from under us. Even though we all say we want to get out of our rut, most of us just want to pour some icing on top. <laughs> that so is for the sure. courage to do anything a little different, yes. that's the beginning of change. Reconditioning and finally deconditioning and freedom. So just some small act. So it doesn't have to be some yes, grand thing. Even uh, I often instruct my students in this when they ask about this. I say, you know, cross your legs, cross your arms, and try it the other way. Why is that? Well, turn around the opposite way in the shower than you always turn. Well, put your socks or your pants on the opposite leg. It's hard to do things different, not to mention what we're talking about was transforming ourselves, transforming the world. Right. So we bite, chunk it down, bite-sized bits, daily practice, half an hour, an hour, morning, night, like every spiritual tradition, and also every, bring it into every moment of life, moment at work, a little different, and then energy starts to come with it as we get conviction, not just belief that actually we can change. Everything is and we're like entrenched. We're holding on. Right. Things are changing. We're resisting the flow. And it gets easier. Then we catch the updraft. At first, we have to flap our wings to make new habits. Then we catch the updraft and we soar. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. Thank you. Um, we, we, uh, by the way, that reminds me. I shouldn't talk about it. Was it. No, I wasn't talking about it with you. I was talking about it anyway, the, the flapping your wings thing. Because like, I want to go to the top of the building and jump off. And this reminds me of the Bill Hicks joke. Bill Hicks has this great joke about someone who freaked, in the joke, I guess he's talking about someone who freaked out on acid. And he says, you know, they climbed to the top of a building and jumped off because they thought they could fly. He's like, well, birds, why didn't he start from the ground and try to fly up? Because that's what birds do, you know? <laughs> what smart. an idiot. Like, why would you go to the top of a building and jump? And that, I think, is like something in my mind that gets into my mind is instead of these little steps, I start thinking about some grand thing that I must do if I'm going to venture onto the spiritual path. So the idea of just tiny little shifts, that's very refreshing. So thank you for that. It's beautiful. Um, I think we only have a little bit of time left. Uh, can we do a, like a couple of questions, Raghu? So if you guys want to, uh, we're just, we only have time for maybe a couple of questions, but we'll, uh, 
We'll take some questions. There's a microphone over Paula's there. Paula's got the microphone over there. Anyone so has a question for these amazing people here? Or for him, amazing person. Question? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Please don't be afraid. If you don't have a question, we'll feel like we failed miserably. Yeah. I have a question to break the ice. Uh, you could uh, yours. <clears throat> Duncan, could you ask, ask me what is the meaning of life? Because I know this is something that bugs you. Uh, <laughs> okay, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> Great. Mind your own business. That's the meaning of life. Do we have any other questions? <laughs> Do we have any other answers? <laughs> Over there. Okay, great. So I was in Nepal and I had the opportunity to sit with uh, the Karmapas translator. And I asked him, you know, I want to study Dharma more. I want to understand it more. And his response was, well, first you have to accept the hell realms. And then you can study the Dharma. And if you don't, then there's, there's other teachers out there. And I just wanted to get your comments on that and, and kind of alluding to your, you know, upper class, kind of hipster. Upper middle path. Yeah, upper middle path. And, You're and looking at me and the Karmapa was my guru, so <laughs> how could I criticize that ridiculous answer? <laughs> it wasn't the Karmapa, that, that, it was his translation. I heard what you said. This is just coming from such another, not just place, but time and culture that before you get interested in the Dharma, you have to, what you say, accept the hell realms. Uh, I don't think that's the whole story. How about that? You don't buy it. You think the Karmapa's translator was full of it. But what, what does that mean? What do you think that means to accept the hell realms? Well, that's what I'm talking about, another time, place, and context. Of course it's a religion. Maybe also, they've already, well, they're totally pickled in the pickle. They're totally in that tradition and religion. So, um, some would say you can't be a Buddhist if you don't believe in rebirth, but I don't think that's the whole story. I don't know that Thich Nhat Hanh would say that. Some say you're not a Buddhist. You know, everybody is quick to say, to judge other people, you're not a good Christian if you do this or that. Or you, you know, It's human nature. Buddhists are not necessarily any better. People say you're not a good Buddhist if you're not a vegetarian or other things like that. So I think many people belong to the religion of my way is, or the highway. And this fire and brimstone in Buddhism, ancient, you know, traditional, old world Buddhism too. So hell realm, you mentioned. You don't hear us or Sharon Salzberg and our friends or Thich Nhat Hanh talking about that. So that's my candid answer. I hope that's helpful for you to think for yourself and seek the deep dharma, not just the ism, but the spirit of it, the direct experience of it, the transformative essence of it. I just really want to quickly add to that. What's in front of you right now? This, right? Is this not the Dharma? I don't know. Like, who's anybody to tell you? 
I know that's not a popular statement, but what's in front of you right now? There's your, there's your spiritual path. There's, there's, you're, you're in it. You're in the midst of it right now. So I just, I don't know, I felt moved to tell you that. Both working now. <laughs> One more question. There's somebody in I, the... My back. question is for Duncan, oh, if that's okay. Him. Okay, Duncan, sure. <laughs> uh, Duncan, uh, Raghumarga said earlier that you're a guru, and you asked your guests how it feels to be enlightened and, and how it feels to be a part of this. But how does it feel for you? How does it feel to know that people like me see you as a guru? Well, I'll tell you, if I am uh, an enlightened being, <laughs> then we are in trouble. But I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> my experience of enlightenment is uh, a, a fairly persistent gnawing anxiety that something awful is going to happen to me at any second. <laughs> Mixed in That's with. That's a lot. <laughs> Mixed in with some. Um, uh, love of Dark Souls 3, and uh, <laughs> and then every once in a while, every once in a while, things just seem incredibly beautiful to me, and 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 it it, it really is. That's as close as I've gotten to it. I I I think that people like Raghu say the guru thing sarcastically, and uh, uh, though it, it's sarcastic. And uh, but Duncan, but, uh, he said you his podcast guru, and you're a guru I'm a of that kind. So I'm a he was he was giving you sincere appreciation. I regurgitate. I'm a regurgitator. So I hear something cool. That's what I am. I'm a jukebox. That's it. I'm a jukebox. Definitely not a guru. I, I hope one day to gain true realization. Start bringing birds back to life. Man- <laughs> <laughs> manifesting ash. Walking through walls, teleporting, but that's a long, long way down the road. So, <clears throat> but fortunately, you know, there are people like these folks up here and like Ramdas, and there are people out there who have an active spiritual practice, which I really don't have. I intermittently meditate, I intermittently read scriptures, I think about it all the time, but I have yet to really dive into the discipline world that these guys are in right now. And uh, so this is, so for me, mostly I just point in their direction and they point in the direction of varying gurus. Uh, Raghu points in the direction of Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, uh, and, and Ramdas points in that direction too. But ultimately I think they're all pointing in the direction of an entity that isn't embodied and isn't based in any one single personality. And there's something really quite beautiful in that to me. So I refer to that as, um, if there's anything that people like about me, it's only because I am regurgitating stuff that comes from that thing, if that makes any sense at all. Thanks for the question. Not true, but you know, one time, and I know we have to end here, but one time at, this, at a retreat, with Ramdas, people were talking, the subject was about having a guru, physical guru, and you were saying, all you people talk about Maharaji, and I can't, I can't relate with that. Right. What I can relate with is, and for me, what he is, is this entire group of people in one heart, in this room, right now, that is... Maharaji. Yeah, 
That's it. And that was very wise and guruish. I said that? Yes. You oh. did? See? <laughs> well, there you go. See? And Not But true. I, I think that is it. And I think that this tendency towards the guru, no offense, Raghu, I think the tendency towards the guru can be really confusing and tricky. And any guru that there is, it, it's got to be the gestalt. It's the sum total of all of us here. It's that. It, it's not our ability to love, but it's the just the intention, just the vaguest intention that I think most people who come to events like this have to try to love a little bit more. The sum total of that intention on a planetary level, I think, creates a kind of super consciousness that people like Raghu call the guru. And that th is a thing that at any moment that you want to, you can tune into and you certainly don't need someone's meat body is the thing to connect you to that consciousness. Pretty nice, though. The meat body meat was spot. great. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, for coming, everybody. Wait, wait. Oh, wait. Sorry. Oh, wait, we want to end with... We want to end on a... We started this with Nina's beautiful chant, and we're going to end this with a very... Just a couple of minutes of Lama's chant, please. So we've been talking about love and learning to love better and others and ourselves and acceptance and, and, and well-wishing and so on. Metta. So now feel free to join in if you like. I'm going to chant the mantra, of, call it Tibetan if you like, it's Sanskrit, um, Tibetan mantra of loving kindness and compassion, the Dalai Lama's mantra, Om Mani Padme Hung. Many of you would know this. Please join if you wish, otherwise just hum along or just co-meditate or just enjoy the sacred sound, all of us being together in this spirit and the heart of it all, the heart of goodness and love that we share tonight here together. Om
liberated. your most beloved one till you feel it oh loving your chihuahua your loved one oh including oneself compassion and love oh metta bhavana loving kindness oh 
gently, softly. Om Mani Padme Om Mani Padme Melting, dissolving it into light, love, awareness. Om Mani Padme Om Love to one and all. May we all together complete the spiritual journey. One family. For a better world, better future to be possible. A better future that begins right now. And I bow to the Buddha, the light, the divine in your seat, son of Luka. Namaste. Thank you for coming. Namaste. Namaste. Lovely. Thank you, Duncan, Raghu, Lamasurya Das, and Chris. Thank you so much for being here. Another round of applause. Thank you. Thank you.